With a few questions to ponder, here's Pastor John Randall. Are you allowing anything into your life at the present time that is causing you to stumble or causing other people that you know to stumble? Husbands, are you allowing anything to come into your home that is stumbling your wife, stumbling your children if you have them? Wives, are you allowing anything into your life that will cause your husband to stumble, cause him to fall? These are things that we need to be mindful of. And let me say this, if when that question is posed to you and something immediately comes into your mind, know this, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not some mind trick, that's the Holy Spirit bringing it to your attention as the Word of God is being opened in front of you. And if that is the case, the Lord wants you to deal with that. Greetings in Christ on behalf of Calvary South OC and welcome to A Daily Walk. Our Bible teacher is Pastor John Randall and currently he's leading us through the Gospel of Luke where we get an insider's look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We'll be in chapter 17 today and we will be uncovering some practical lessons for disciples. First up is a caution not to stumble others. Here's Pastor John. Luke chapter 17 with a message entitled Practical Lessons for the Disciples. Beginning in verse 1, Then he said to the disciples, It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. At this point in our study in Luke's gospel, we are in the last few months of Jesus' life before his death and resurrection. This journey toward Jerusalem began back in chapter 9, and it continues until Luke chapter 19, verse 28, when we will read, he begins to go up to Jerusalem. But it was during this time, these last several months of Jesus' life, that he was preaching a message concerning the kingdom of God, and he was calling people to repentance. He was also healing those who were sick. Jesus was seeking to save those who were lost. And through the teachings that he presented and through the miracles that he performed, it was becoming obvious to the people that this was the Messiah that the prophets of the Old Testament had written about. However, the closer that Jesus got to the cross, his teaching became more narrow and more directed toward his disciples because the disciples would be the ones to carry on the ministry following his departure. It was during these instructional times with his disciples that Jesus began to draw a consistent contrast between the pious religious leaders known as the Pharisees and his disciples. Jesus was taking new wine and pouring it into new wineskins. He was training his disciples to do the exact opposite of what they had observed in the life and ministry of the Pharisees. And so the teaching was very practical and extremely applicable for them. And the word of God today at the present time is not only reliable, but it is also very relevant as it was for the disciples then, so it is relevant for us 
at the present day in which we are living. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he said, All scripture is given by God, inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is why we present the word of God to you consistently and regularly here. So that you may be thoroughly and completely equipped for every good work that God has for you. And so we begin with these very practical lessons. And we start off, number one, with a caution concerning causing others to stumble. A caution not to cause others to stumble. Jesus said to the disciples in verse one, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. You know that we live in a fallen world and we are surrounded by fallen people. We battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil on a daily basis. And it is impossible to not get hurt in this world by something or someone. Jesus tells his disciples that it is impossible that no offenses will come. What does Jesus mean when he speaks of offenses? The word offenses is the Greek word scandalon, and it means the temptation to sin. It means a stumbling block. Originally, the word was defined in this way. It was defined as the baiting of a trap in order to ensnare some animal. We live in a world that is full of traps and full of snares. And the devil baits those traps with things that look inviting, things that appear to be satisfying. But understand this, he is bent upon our destruction. He is so deceptive that he can make garbage shine like gold. He can take deadly poison and make it appear to be something like a thirst-quenching beverage that will only destroy you from the inside out. And we must not be ignorant of his devices nor enticed by the snares that he sets. But the devil oftentimes will use people. And Jesus says that the one who is used by the enemy to set a trap or to bait the hook in order to turn a person away from following after God that they will be judged by the Lord. And this judgment that Jesus pronounces is extremely severe. Those that would stumble these, he says, little ones. And the word for little ones who are being stumbled is not simply talking about children, although it certainly could apply in that case, but it also is in reference to new believers in Christ. Anyone who would seek to undermine the faith of a new believer and turn them away from the Lord, judgment by Jesus himself is pronounced upon them. The Pharisees, they were guilty of this very thing. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus speaks a series of woes to those who were religious leaders, he said this in chapter 23. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you yourselves neither go in, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. The Pharisees stood like a roadblock from people being able to get into the kingdom. And they themselves weren't going in. And to them, Jesus pronounces this judgment because they stood in the way. Jesus said, it would be better. It'd be better if you took a millstone, put it around your neck, 
and threw it into the depths of the sea as compared to the judgment that you will receive. A millstone. I've seen them when we were in Israel. They are a huge stone. And if you were to take a millstone and tie it around your neck, it would quickly take you to the bottom of any body of water. And the Jews were extremely frightened of drowning. In fact, they were so frightened of of being drowned in in the water that that they would never inflict any kind of punishment that, that would allow drowning. However, the Romans did it frequently. But they were fearful of it. And so the imagery that Jesus presents to them would be extremely startling. Think today of the professors in classrooms that are undermining the faith of believers, not only in high school, but in university campuses, causing them to be stumbled and to turn away from God and to think that God does not exist. Or consider the false teacher who comes with false doctrine and turns people away from the true gospel. These were many of the things that the New Testament epistles were written to contend with, false doctrine, people being turned away. Paul said, concerning those who were teaching another gospel, he said, I wish they were cut off. I wish that they would be accursed because they were undermining the faith of people who were coming to Jesus Christ. The judgment of God is severe for the person who undermines the faith of a new believer. But also... Not only is there a judgment that is pronounced upon those who would stumble a a new believer, but the Bible does give us a warning concerning believers stumbling other believers. Think about that. You remember in the scriptures that the Bible warns against not being a stumbling block to someone else. You say, well, what causes people to stumble? Sin will always cause people to stumble. Sin in the form of gossip, sin in the form of envy, sin in the form of taking liberties and using them as a license to engage in some carnal practice can easily stumble another believer. One thing that stumbles believers is when those who claim to be Christians don't live like they're a Christian. And believers are stumbled by that and non-believers as well. I've known people who have said, I know the Lord and they constantly stumble believers and non-believers by the way they live their lives, by the way they run their business, by the way they treat their wife, by the substances they abuse. And then just the, the overall way in which they live is a stumbling block to people coming to Jesus. That's important that we consider that fact. Paul said this in writing to the Romans chapter 14. He said, so Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. In writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said much the same thing. He said, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. As believers, we need to be considerate of other believers within the body of Christ and careful to live our lives in such a way that we are above reproach, that we do not stumble them. There are granted liberties that we have in Christ Jesus, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But some liberties may cause others to stumble. And being mindful of that because of love, I personally will lay aside liberties that I have so that somebody doesn't stumble over me. I don't want to be a hindrance to anybody's relationship with the Lord Jesus. Paul said again to the Corinthians, he said, if food makes my brother stumble, 
talking about the various meats that were being offered up. He said, I'll never eat that meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. Why would Paul say that? Because he loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want to be careful of this. There is a caution in this regard. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you allowing anything into your life at the present time that is causing you to stumble or causing other people that you know to stumble? Husbands, are you allowing anything to come into your home that is stumbling your wife, stumbling your children if you have them? Wives, are you allowing anything into your life that will cause your husband to stumble, cause him to fall? These are things that we need to be mindful of. And let me say this. When that question is posed to you and something immediately comes into your mind, know this, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not some mind trick. That's the Holy Spirit bringing it to your attention as the word of God is being opened in front of you. And if that is the case, the Lord wants you to deal with that. The Lord wants you to deal with that lest you stumble or you stumble other people in the process. So caution concerning stumbling others. But then Jesus gives a command, notice, to forgive. In verse three, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The religious leaders of Jesus' day taught that a person was only required to forgive a person three times and not beyond that. They said, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. I'll forgive you this once. I will forgive you twice. The third time, I forgive you. The fourth time, I'm not forgiving you anymore. That you, it ran out. No more forgiveness for you. Perhaps that's why Peter came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. And he said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? That's definitely four more than the Pharisees were doing. I'm assuming this, is, this should be rewarded. Jesus said, Peter, I say to you 70 times seven. You walk in forgiveness. You don't tabulate or calculate how many times you forgive. You just continually walk in an attitude of forgiveness toward other people. Jesus actually used that question by Peter to launch into a parable. And the parable that he spoke there was about a man that had been forgiven such an enormous debt that he could never repay. And right after he had been forgiven this incredible debt, immediately after, it says he left the presence of the one who had forgiven him and he went out and he found a man who owed him a fraction of what he owed him and he took him by, by the neck and said, pay me what you owe. And he didn't forgive him. And that man, of course, was judged for his unwillingness to forgive. The point is this. If we've been forgiven, and we have, something that we could never pay back, God has forgiven us. How can I not in turn now forgive people who have wronged me? And they could never wrong me to the degree that I have wronged my Savior. How can I not walk in forgiveness if I've been forgiven? Someone said that you are never more like Jesus than when you are forgiving. That's the heart of God to forgive. Luke gives us the principle. He tells us we are to forgive. A brother comes to you and repents that you need to forgive him. But Matthew gives us the process. In Matthew 18, Matthew tells us, listen, if your brother sins against you, if he offends you, go to that brother. Here's step one. Go to that brother personally and speak with him. Tell him about the offense between you and him privately. 
If he doesn't receive you, then you go and you get a couple other witnesses, hopefully godly witnesses. You bring them in, and then they also sit in with you as you confront the sin within this brother or sister's life. If that doesn't work, then you go to step three, which is you get the church leadership involved, and the church leadership comes in, and they sit in, and they speak with them based upon the word of God. And if they won't respond to the church leadership, that's when you say, all right. Jesus said, let them be like a heathen or a tax collector to you at that point. If they're not teachable, if they won't respond, there's not much you can do. But you need to go through that, those steps in order to see that take place. But let me tell you how often it goes down in the church. Step one doesn't even happen. It starts with not going to that person personally. You go to a bunch of people publicly and you, you, you get a posse. And you tell them about all the things that this person did. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Let's ride. And you go and you find this person. You want to string them up. You know, you got a posse surrounding you as you, the dust cloud precedes you. And that's not God's heart. Or you, you skip step one and you go right to step three. I'm going to go tell the pastor on you. <laughs> and you never went to them. Pastor John, we got an issue over here. What, what, what is it? Well, you know, and they tell you this whole issue and... I think you ought to deal with it. And I always think to myself, can I ask you, have you done step one and two yet? No, I didn't do step one or two. I thought I jumped step three. God wants you to deal with it. You need to deal with it. Hey, listen, you get to step three, I am here. We are here to back you up and, and, and so forth. But let me tell you this. If you're going to go and confront that person, you better be ready to forgive them. The reason why you're going to them is because you want reconciliation. You want restoration. If that's your heart, God's into that. But you better be ready to forgive. Jesus had much to say on the subject of forgiveness. You remember Jesus said in Luke 6, forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Forgiveness is not always easy, but we are called to forgive. That's the heart of God. He forgave you. He forgave me. How can we not forgive? And when we forgive that person, the relationship might not be fully restored. We might not be able to sit down and play Uno or whatever. It might not happen, but at the same time, I can be free. I don't want to be in bondage. I want to walk in forgiveness. I think the greatest example of forgiveness is seen in the person and work of Jesus. As Jesus was nailed to the cross of Calvary and the people were below the cross and they were blaspheming him, hurling accusations against him. And Jesus from the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the example. That's the heart of forgiveness that we want to walk in. Sometimes we say, well, I forgive you But let me tell you something, I will not forget about this. (laughs) Sometimes happens with married couples when they get into a heated time of fellowship, (laughs) intense fellowship. They become, may I say, historical. Not necessarily hysterical, some do, but historical. Do you remember this happened? What day is it? This happened on December, you know, and, and of 1990. Wow, I had, I don't remember that, but okay. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. It forgives. 
Let me ask you this question before we proceed. Perhaps this weekend there is someone who has wronged you. They have hurt you, and the Lord wants you to forgive them. Remember what the Lord has forgiven you of. Remember what God has done in your life. Well, they don't deserve it. Did you? Do I deserve God's forgiveness? No. I'm not asking God to give me what I deserve. I know what I deserve. I'm asking him to give me mercy, and he has forgiven me. Jesus exhorts his disciples to live a life of forgiveness. When they heard this, they made a request to Jesus. They said, Lord, um, we need you to increase our faith on this point. Lord, you've got to help us out. You've got to help us to trust in you. They said, increase our faith in verse five. And Jesus responded by saying to them, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by its roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. On another occasion, Jesus talked about a mountain being removed. When the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith, they were in essence saying, Lord, develop our faith, supplement our faith, help it to grow in this area. Because in the area of forgiveness, your faith will be tested and love will be tested. Love is that which motivates us to forgive, but faith is that which activates the forgiveness. And I believe that this was a request of humble dependence by the disciples. They knew that in and of themselves, they would not be able to forgive the way Jesus told them to forgive. And so they said, Lord, you gotta help us to trust in you on this point. Lord, you gotta increase our faith. We know that you can enable us to do that. And Jesus pointed to a mustard seed as an example of faith. And by doing so, the mustard seed being the the smallest, one of the smallest seeds, he wasn't saying that it's so much the, the size or the quantity of your faith, but the quality of your faith, the object of your faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the object of our faith, which is God. God alone is the object of our faith. Faith isn't the power in itself, but rather connects us to the power, which is the Lord himself. That's where the power is. The power is in the Lord. And faith is just a vehicle that connects me, as it were, to the power of God. The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. It's it's trusting in the Lord. It's not something that, that I can generate in and of myself. It's not something that I can positively confess or try to speak something into existence into my life by faith or I don't have enough faith. Faith is trusting in a powerful God, a God who is not limited by anything. So whether my steps of faith are in the area of forgiving someone who's wronged me, or it's perhaps going in a direction in my life that God is leading me, or it's, it's waiting for that person that I've been praying for to be my husband or wife, you might say, if you're single here today. Well, whatever it is, it's faith in God. It's faith in God's ability. It's trusting in him. God who knows what's best for me. Lord, increase that in my life. Lord, develop that kind of faith in my life that will trust in you, that will rest in you, that will believe that, that you have been and you cannot be anything less than faithful. Increase our faith. 
Well, thanks for joining us today on A Daily Walk. To catch a replay of today's message from Pastor John Randall, simply go online to adailywalk.org or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and through the Calvary South OC app. If you'd rather have a CD copy of the study from our Through the Bible series, we can send that to you for a cost of $5. Here's where to reach us toll free, 877-242-0828. You can use that to order resources, or if you have any questions, that's 877-242-0828. We light up around here when a listener shares what God is doing in their life and how they're helped through the teaching of God's Word. If you feel led to write, here's our email address, adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. It sure would be nice to connect with you. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. We pray this devotional will bring you hope as you seek Jesus and share in the wisdom of God from the heart of a pastor's wife. We're offering it for the special price of $15. Just call us and request a daily walk for women at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Again, that's 877-242-0828. And please remember, it's your faithful contribution to the Lord's work at A Daily Walk that allows us to bring Pastor John's studies to the radio every day. We can't do it alone and totally rely on the Lord to make all this happen. Secure donations can be made at adailywalk.org. We'll pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke next time on A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. Blessings to you. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through your generous support.